And they're xenohormetics, where they've actually taken on stress for the plant. They have a similar effect on you, and the polyphenols do that. Biohacking is hacking your biology, but the term hacktivism is a term that's used in hacking, and it means doing it for social good. And that, that reframing mindset is just so critical. It's critical to being successful in life, self-love. That's where it all starts. That would be my number one biohack. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Friends, I am so excited about today's episode. I get really excited about episodes when they are with true personal friends, and Sean Wells is truly that. He is such an incredible, well-respected force in the whole biohacking sphere, particularly in the world of supplements. He's one of the go-to experts on supplements, so it was really exciting to dive deep into that and ask all of my nitty-gritty questions in today's episode. And then on top of that, his book, The Energy Formula, it literally talks about everything I am obsessed with and from a perspective that really, really resonates with me. You've got to check it out. I really think you guys will enjoy today's interview. So get excited. The show notes for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com slash energy formula. Those show notes will have a full transcript, so definitely check that out. There will be two episode giveaways for this episode. One will be a signed book giveaway super excited. Just check out my Instagram to enter for that. And then there will also be a beauty counter giveaway in my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, intermittent fasting plus real foods plus life. Comment something you learned or something that resonated with you on the pin post to enter to win something I love. If you are enjoying this podcast, it would mean the absolute world, world, world. If you could take a moment and write a brief iTunes review, it helps so much more than people realize. I read every single one of those and they truly mean the world. So thank you so much and advance for that. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this wonderful conversation with Sean Wells. Hi friends, welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly excited about the conversation that I am about to have. I get really excited when I get to interact with people who have such incredible work that I personally relate to and that resonates with me and that I think will resonate with my audience. But especially on top of that, when I know them personally and they are just fantastic, beautiful human beings, I am so honored to be here today with somebody that my listeners probably know pretty well. He's very well known in our whole sphere, and that is Sean Wells. He knows so much when it comes to paleo, keto, diet, fasting, biohacking, supplements. I asked my audience for questions regarding supplements, and I got so many questions. And I'd been wanting to interview him anyways, but the timing was perfect because he is releasing a new book called The Energy Formula, Six Life-Changing Ingredients to Unleash Your Limitless Potential. And... (laughs) Friends, when I read this book, I don't want to say like I could write it because I'm not saying I could write your book, but reading it, I was like, wow, this, like everything you said is 
basically everything I think about all the time. Really, really beautiful book, really valuable resource. I can't wait to dive deep into everything. So Sean, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Melanie. Like I, I reflect all that back to you. Like I, I'm a huge fan of yours. I think you're an incredible human being. I think you could write this book. I mean, maybe our stories part would be a little different, but I think this is something like that is meant to be accessible. Like I, I could have gone more hardcore. I could have gone into super expensive devices and 40 days of Zen and you know, all that kind of stuff. But I wanted this to be something that everyone could use, that my mom could use, you know, things like that. Like, so I just, and uh, most of this stuff in it is free or will save you money from what you're currently spending. I didn't know that was your, you know, your personal goal with it, but that is completely how it ended up. It's so incredibly comprehensive, but like you said, it's not too of a deep dive where you feel lost or feel like you're, you know, lost in the minutiae. It's very practical. You walk away feeling very, very empowered. Actually, you already touched on it, but as far as your story goes, because you were saying that we might have slightly different stories, but I think there is often a common thread with people in the holistic health sphere where their own personal health challenges was a, you know, a big part of their journey. Would you like to tell listeners a little bit about some of the struggles that you went through in your health journey and how that ultimately led to you writing the book today? Yeah, thank you. I I grew up in a in a chaotic home that led to me being a junk food junkie and becoming morbidly obese and then laughed at and bullied at school and all of that led to me just not being mentally healthy, having a very depressed childhood, but also swinging into like being the the comedian and with self-deprecation and all that kind of stuff, you know, as a way to mentally survive that. I went to college and I got into a good school, Babson College, and it was a business school. That was what I was told to do by everyone around me. I didn't know what my passions were at that point. I started working out using creatine and protein and, you know, going through like, you know, the dumbbell racks with just every time I'd go to the gym, I was picking up a new set of dumbbells and that was kind of addictive. And my body was starting to change a little bit. And I was getting excited about that. And I was reading these bodybuilding magazines and, you know, getting super interested in all the supplements and going to GNCs and spending hours in there just reading labels. And I went to my physician in between my sophomore and junior year. And I asked him about supplements and and told him how passionate I was. And I was expecting he was just going to like laugh at me. And instead, he did something really incredible. He, he drew this lifeline between 20 and 80 and said, why not be happy between here and here? And that blew me away. And it gave me the freedom to pursue this dream of mine that I didn't even know I had. He totally changed my life path. And I decided that I was going to become a supplement formulator. And my dream was to go to UNC Chapel Hill to get my master's in nutritional biochemistry. And I was on my way. I decided to finish up my business degree. Then I ended up going to UNC Greensboro to get all my prerequisites. And I needed about two years worth of sciences, 26 credit hours a semester. It would be pretty tough. And the guidance counselor at UNCG was kind of the opposite. He said, after I told him my whole dream, 
he laughed at me and he said, you're a business student and you'll fail miserably and you're not even in that good a shape. And that night I almost committed suicide because that was like my whole dream felt like it was just disappearing. And that was horrifying to me and, and sad. And, and luckily I had the resolve to work through that and I didn't take my own life. I had alcohol and pills ready to, to do that that night. I ended up hating that person, keeping him in mind every day in maybe a borderline unhealthy way. But I ended up getting straight A's, getting into UNC Chapel Hill. And while I was at UNC Chapel Hill, I was, again, pushing hard, you know, working probably about 80 hours a week. My body was in better shape, but I wasn't I wasn't happy, you know, still battling some depression, focused on achievement. I ended up getting Epstein-Barr virus, Hashimoto's, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia. And I was in bed for about six months in pain and inflamed. Never thought I was going to get out of bed again. I thought, again, my life was over and I'd never be this formulator or have my finish my master's. And so, again, I contemplated suicide and was horribly depressed, but I ended up stumbling into keto and that helped pull me out and I felt so much better. The pain and inflammation went away. I was able to go back to class, finish up my master's and start my career. And that was incredible. I worked for about 10 years as a chief clinical dietitian. But there was frustration there with everything going on that, you know, like I had to give low fat diets to people with coronary heart disease. I had to give low sodium diets to people with hypertension, had to give carbs all day long to people with diabetes, you know, give Ensure to people that didn't have quality nutrition. And that's just, you know, corn syrup, solids and garbage. So I ended up finally leaving healthcare and just going into my dream job, which was being a formulator like at Dimatize as director of R&D. But again, I was pushing 80 hours a week. They were trying to sell the company. I was director of R&D doing all the formulations there. And I got a brain tumor. And so I've been on this path of like a lot of health issues. And it was only up until about two years ago that I actually started speaking on I've always talked about my health issues to some degree that it was in the past and all this stuff has healed me and look at me now. But I finally started talking about that I still deal with a lot of this stuff and that I'm not perfect and there is no filter. And I fight depression, you know, at times. And I've had all these battles with my weight. You know, I've been morbidly obese. I've been anorexic. I went from 300 pounds to 150 pounds where I was weighing myself every time I peed. And then, you know, to see if I was a little bit less. And then I was orthorexic at 220 pounds ripped, but working out four hours a day and still hating myself. And, you know, I've, I've had immune system battles and, and all of it was from really my push and desire for achievement and lack of self-love. And that has been a shift of recent with plant medicine. So it's been a, a long journey but I'm, I'm far from perfect. And I now talk about that my, my broken is my beautiful and I'm proud of where I've come. And I really feel like it's, what's given me my passion. It's what helps me connect with others. 
it's my journey and without it, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be who I am. I wouldn't be talking to you right now. So I'm proud of all of it. Wow. That is so incredibly powerful. And thank you so much for being so open about all of that. I think so many people relate to that. I personally relate to it so much. I've had my own like health challenges and just like you, I feel like I existed in a world for a while where I was like, I'm just going to wait until I'm, you know, completely better. And then it's like, I'm healed. And then I can talk about it then. But I think one of the biggest things in healing is maybe having that moment of acceptance where it's not like you're healed or not healed. Like we're always experiencing challenges and that's okay. I think just being okay with everything is just so important. Reading your book, now hearing you say that as well, it just makes sense why there is so much heart and this through line throughout it of a perspective that I think is so important. And one of the quotes that really stuck with me is you talked about how the opposite of love isn't hate, it's fear. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, the role of fear and health. And when it comes to health, because in your energy formula, you have all these different things that affect our energy and affect our health. But what do you think has the biggest effect? Is it the mindset, the fear, the love? Is it the diet, the biohacks, <laughs> like the sleep? Like, like, is any one thing more important? Yeah, I would say the most important thing of all to me now is, is mindset. As your mind goes, so does your body. And for years, I did all this biohacking, all the things that I've learned, all the hacks, all that when I was traveling, the supplements, the the cold showers, the the laser beams I use. Like right now, I'm at Dr. Daniel Stickler's office, and I have oxytocin and ketamine right next to me, and I'm doing transcranial electrostimulation right after this call. And all this stuff is so cool, right? But I was doing all of it to survive. I was trying to survive what I was putting my body through, my myself through, through self-loathing, like body dysmorphia, you know, the, the disordered eating, the drive for achievement to get to the next level, to the next level, to the next level, to the next level. And it never ended. You know, here I am, like I have a super fancy sports car, I'm making seven figures. I'm going all over the world. I'm on TV and documentaries and I'm miserable. And, you know, there's a great quote by Jim Carrey that he says, I wish everyone could be rich and famous so they could see that's not the answer. And I've met so many people in these masterminds and things that are, that are billionaires, that are people that are celebrities that you think would be so happy. And they're not, they feel alone and they're actually more isolated. And there's just a general sadness, I think throughout our society because of a lack of connection, because of isolation, because of self self-loathing, because of imposter syndrome, because of filtered social media, we just feel sad and hurt and we're dopamine addicted and we're just not in a healthy mind state. And so a growth mindset that I get into in the book, in the chapter, that's the G in energy formula, the growth mindset is critical that stoic mindset where the obstacle is the way instead of wishing for there being no obstacle instead of wishing for a way around the obstacle you want the obstacle to be the way because that agitation creates the adaptation the hormesis 
just like with physiologic things like cold showers and plunges or red, uh, red light saunas and, and fasting that are hormetic stressors, they're eustressors that create greater allostatic load, a bigger stress bucket. The same is true for your mind. And the more capacity you can have to deal with stress mentally, the more you will have physiologically and vice versa. So it's really important that you have a reframing mindset. There's like two things that almost all successful people have in common that Tim Ferriss interviewed for Tools of Titans, one of which was a dialed morning routine. The other was that they are an experimenter or reframer. They're good at reframing things or seeing things as experiments. They don't view things as win or lose. It's win or learn, or now I know what it's not. So I, now I can continue down this path. And that, that reframing mindset is just so critical. You, you can call it like the optimist, like the glass is half full kind of thing, but it's critical to being successful in life, having greater health. Like if I could have built my last 20 some years on top of that healthy mind state, all those biohacks would have been amazing. They would have truly been optimization. But a lot of times I was doing these biohacks, one, because I hated who I was and I was trying to lose weight or gain muscle or, you know, these things because I didn't like myself. Or two, you know, I was trying to, to build on sinking sand, essentially, like with no real foundation. And so I would go from healthy to sick to healthy to sick to healthy to sick. And I didn't have that solid foundation of self-love. That's where it all starts. That would be my number one biohack. I love that so much. And it's funny because this is the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast, but I can't tell you how many times I've, well, I've thought I would never want to have to feel the desire to need a biohack ever again. Like I don't want to turn to these quote biohacks because I feel like I'm lacking something or that I need them to be complete or be whole or be healthy. I really desire this relationship with the biohacking tips and tools and techniques where it's just adding things to my life, but I'm not lacking because of it. That was another thing I loved in your book. You kind of reframed biohacking and talked about the importance, not so much of biohacking, but of being bioactivists. Yes. Yes. Bioactivist. Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Yeah, that's, that's funny. And, and, you know, what's funny too, Melanie is that that word kind of triggers me. I'm on clubhouses at biohacking. I obviously use that word a lot, but like that word triggers me a bit as well, because if I think about my periods of, of really being depressed and self-loathing that like the word hack means like I'm trying to cut something out. It's visceral. Right. And like, I don't like myself and I want to get through it as quickly as possible. And then the other parts of my life, I was grinding, I was sacrificing, I was heads down. And you think about that word grind and like there's heat coming off and smoke and pieces breaking off. And it's no wonder like over years that like my body is just breaking down in like ultra sympathetic mode and it's just not healthy. And I was never like, mindful or present in the middle. I was always trying to hack or grind, like get it out fast or sacrifice slowly and grind. And I wanted, I, I want to be present and connecting with myself and with others and enjoying the moment and loving life. 
And I feel like that's often missed. And so I, I tried to like transmute the term that was kind of triggering me biohacking to biohacktivism. There's a biohacking is a, is a mashup term of hacking your biology, you know, trying to elicit greater performance with some shortcut. But the term hacktivism is a term that's used in hacking, like computer hacking. And it means doing it for social good, like hacking for activist reasons. And so I liked mashing up these two mashup terms to biohacktivism. And it means that instead of just N of one, instead of just trying to elicit greater performance for the quantified self, instead of just being quote unquote selfish and trying to live longer and be better, I want it to be heads up. I want to be thriving. I want to be affecting the world around me and having a positive impact because I feel like when we're thriving, we're in the right place, right time all the time. If we are heads up, if we are optimized, you don't have to wait for that someday to come. You don't have to wait for that savior to walk through the door. You can be your own savior. You can live in the moment. You can manifest all the things you want if you're thriving and not just surviving. I'm wondering, did you ever have that same thought about at least the worries about feeling like you need to do these different biohacks in order to be well, like perceiving an unhealthy relationship with them. Did you ever have that surrounding supplements as well? Because you're so well known, you have so much expertise in the supplements world, but I think a lot of people, myself included, it can be overwhelming to know like what to take and then do you need to be taking this? And then if you stop taking it, is that a problem? Like there's a lot of overwhelm. I think a feeling of almost fear surrounding supplements. Did you ever have that experience as well? Oh, a hundred percent. And, and that's, what's led me to be so passionate about supplements is that there's so many bad ones and there's so many bad players in the industry. And I bought hundreds and hundreds of supplements that were either ineffective or were counterproductive to my health and they were poorly formulated or there was poor quality control. I've definitely been through it and I've gotten actually almost deathly sick one time. Bodybuilding supplements were, were pretty bad at one point. There was a lot of pro hormones and things that were really unchecked by the FDA that were going on in the industry and, and it got pretty out of control and, and there was some really illicit substances that you know, you assume are just safe because they're on the market and you can just order them on, you know, websites or whatever, and it should be safe, but that's not necessarily the case. And the FDA has a little purview, but not a whole lot of purview to really be a watchdog on the whole industry. And so I do go into the book on some red flags and how to find a good supplement. You know, some things I look at is proprietary blends. I'm very against those. You know, you can see like, it'll say 770 milligrams of the muscle and strength blend. And you'll have 17 ingredients in that blend. And the first ingredient is because it's in order of descending mass could be 769 milligrams. And the other 16 ingredients could be that one milligram. And so it's a very deceptive practice. And it's often done for good reason. The first ingredient will be something that's $4 a kilo and all the other ingredients could be super, super expensive. And you think, oh, well, they're all there. They're listed on this bottle and 
seems like a good dose here, 770 milligrams. I'll just trust that they're, that they're doing things right. And they're not. 99% of the time, they're not. I just would not buy a product that has a proprietary blend. You really should look for each ingredient to be listed with how it's standardized, the dose, the form, the species, the genus, like everything should be listed out with clarity so that you can go to examine.com and, and go look it up and, and see, okay, that's the right dose. That's the right form. This was in a study. This is what I should expect, et cetera. Like I said, when I asked my audience for questions about supplements, I got so many questions. So is there any sort of certification? Like one of my listeners, Teresa, she says, I look for supplements with UPF certification, but is there another way to tell if a supplement is what it says it is? So is it just trusting brands basically, or how do you, how do you trust? Yeah, for, for the most part, like you want to see that they're made in a GMP facility, good manufacturing practices. But mostly it's, it, it is, it's well-respected brands, brands that have been around for years, like, like now, like Jero, Doctors Best, Thorne, Metagenics, Cymogen, like Life Extension Foundation. What about peer encapsulations? Yes, excellent. I love that one. So the, yeah, those are excellent brands. I list them out in the book as well, but those are, those are brands that I would rely on and, you know, they've been around for, for decades. And, you know, I think the brands that I would rely less on are the ones that you might see in Walmart or Amazon or, you know, that, that you don't know the brand name or it's a little bit cheaper. I would at least try the Thorn or Pure Encapsulation ones the, the first time and see how it works for you and then see if, if you want to try one that's cheaper, if you want to try a different one, then, you know, give that one a try after you've tried the best and you know that that's what it's supposed to do, what it's supposed to feel like. Yeah. And for listeners, I cannot recommend enough that you get the energy formula because all of this is in there and so much that we can't even remotely touch on. So just, just quick plug. Here's a really, really good question that I like from Ashley. And this is something I've thought about so much. And it's, I just personally don't understand how supplements are made. And so Ashley says, I don't understand the vitamin making process. She says, I understand, for example, how rose hip syrup is high in vitamin C, but I don't understand where they get the stuff they put into the capsule or press it into tablets. Why are some easier to absorb? What kind of fillers do they use? I've always wanted to tour different vitamin making facilities to see the process. They have wine tours, so they should have vitamin tours. I've thought about that as well, though. How are these supplements even made? Are there some basic go-to processes or what's happening there? Yeah, it depends on the format, whether it's like a ready-to-mix powder, a ready-to-drink drink or shot. Uh, it can be cold fill or hot fill. Then there's tablets and there's, there's capsules. And so there would be different things for different formats. But typically, it's done at a contract manufacturer, which means that's their business is to make these supplements for these other companies, these brands. And, you know, usually like it's at least 10,000 units that are run at a time, upwards to several hundred thousand. And for a tablet, you have a lot of binders, you know, to keep that tablet together. And for a capsule, you have fillers, you know, quite often that, that add the bulk to that capsule so that it can 
look full in the capsule and, and not just be a half empty capsule. And so those are, you know, different things that you'll see. And, and there's, you know, different binders, different fillers. It's common in tablets so that they're white and they have a certain consistency that they'll have, you know, something like a, a calcium carbonate or some form of calcium. Calcium also has like a anti-humectant effect, like a drying effect, which helps to keep moisture low. Moisture content is kind of the enemy of these things. The whole like absorption thing is, isn't really true with like tablets versus capsules or whatever that you just like poop out tablets and capsules are somehow better and all that stuff. That's, that's not really scientific. Speaking of absorption, what about the transdermal patches? Katie says, are over-the-counter transdermal vitamin patches legit or scam? On the surface, they seem like a revelation, but they seem too good to be true. I've used them because I hate, hate, hate swallowing pills. And I actually personally, this is me talking now, Melanie, <laughs> I have some patches that I, I ordered, but I actually never, I don't know why I haven't put them on yet. How do you feel about the transdermal absorption? It's tough. I, I, honestly, it's, it's, it's really like wacky science. It's going to really be affected by whatever the transdermal carrier is. There's stuff like DMSO that helps take these ingredients across that barrier. But it'll also like make a huge difference about like how much circulation there is at the surface. So like, I mean, this is a little graphic, but like men that have used transdermal stuff, like it, it works better on the scrotal sac because it's so thin to get to a circulatory system, to get through the skin to the circulation. And whereas like other areas, you know, could be like much thicker dermis and, you know, body fat and, 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 and not necessarily get that type of absorption. So one, it matters how clean your skin is. Two, it matters the transdermal carrier. Three, it matters what the ingredients are and if they can be carried. Four, it matters like the thickness of the skin, all this stuff. So there's, there's a lot of factors there. I use like a transdermal NAD actually with Dr. Stickler. That's what I was going to ask you about. <laughs> I take a patch, but it's, it's an electrified patch. So it actually has like a battery and current on it. And so it actually feels like it, it hurts a little bit, like a minor bit, but for like an hour while it's working to actually, you know, use that current to get the NAD, which is a positive ion uh, NAD plus like across the barrier of the skin to the blood. And, you know, like that's where like, that's just not happening with these other companies. And like I said, like the amount that you're going to get is going to be so widely varied. If it works at all, it's hard for me to say, like, and there's just very little research. If they said, apply it here, here's what you should expect. Here's the plasma levels we saw on average. You know, you're not seeing that from these companies. To me, it's just like, even if it was somehow, quote unquote, better bioavailability, I would rather take something that's well understood and that there's science around and consistent research around and consistent understanding around than kind of take a shot in the dark. Speaking of NAD, do you have thoughts about the benefits of NMN versus NR? I do. Okay. I'm always dying to hear everybody's thoughts on this. NR pretty much sucks. And 
I'll just put it that plainly. Like all the data is pretty equivocal. And if you look at like where it is in the pathway, it's, it's one step further removed. NMN is much more direct. And so if I was to pick one, NMN would be the one. Obviously, it might be better to find a way to directly increase NAD in the circulation. And that could be transdermally, like I was just talking about, IV, which is not fun for three hours of feeling like you're going to puke, or doing intranasal. I don't have much data on that, but that one seems really accessible. You don't go through the awfulness. What is going to be a huge variation is how much NAD is in the intranasal spray. But here again, that's a way that you can access blood vessels very easily because of how thin that membrane is, kind of like I was saying with the, the scrotal sac idea, is how thin that membrane is like in your nose. That's why that intranasal thing works well, or even like rectally, you know, because of your rectal vein, the portal vein, all that stuff. Like that's why some of these things get taken up and they get taken directly to the blood instead of getting processed by the liver when, when done orally and, and digestive tract. Have you tried some nasal sprays? I have, and, and I did notice a difference, and I did feel like an energetic difference, actually more so than even the NADIV. And I've actually messed with sub-Q injections too, just into like the intra-abdominal fat. But I am very interested. I can't say that there's definitive science yet or any studies around the intranasal, but I'm very interested in it. And it can get very expensive to get like one that's high dosed. I mean, you can find ones that are like 50 bucks and then you can find ones that are 500 bucks. So it just varies greatly. I think on the companies offering it, I don't know, you know, who's necessarily the best one. And then the dose that's going to be in there could be, you know, 10, a hundred fold difference. So it's hard to say, but I think there's a lot of promise there, but if I was to take a supplement, it would be NMN. Okay. Yeah, I've currently been doing NMN and NR both, but that's really, that's good to hear. My injecting story is, so I'm always doing all these crazy, like I said, biohacking things and putting things on my body and trying different things. And I ordered glutathione to be injected intramuscularly. And it was the one thing I chickened out on. Like, I don't know why I was like, I don't think I can put this into my muscle. And then I tried and, and it was burning and it was an epic fail. What are your thoughts on glutathione supplementation? Yeah. And I I've used it like intravenously before, certainly added to my stacks when I've done some immune system enhancement kind of things, especially during the COVID time, like I've done when I've got, when I'm about to travel or gotten back from traveling, sometimes I'll do like 30 to 50 grams of IV vitamin C, like three to five grams of glutathione and some additional lysine. But I guess with glutathione, it is the master antioxidant, but I think there's there's other things that you can do. Like just taking N-acetylcysteine as a supplement is going to boost glutathione levels. And taking oral glutathione, I don't really feel like is that effective. There's some studies that show if you take a big enough dose that it will be broken down and then built back up into glutathione and help increase glutathione levels. But Typically, those doses are way above what you'd be taking, and just that's not an effective strategy. So, taking N acetylcysteine, I think, makes more sense to me. And then there's an ingredient that I mentioned in the, in the book that's really fascinating on the antioxidant side of the equation that 
it was considered for vitamin status. It's called L-ergothionine. It's sold by... I was going to ask you. I'm so excited. I was like, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, NMB Nutrition is Mito Prime. And what's really cool is, here's why it's crazy, is that you actually have transporters in your body, ergothionine transporters, ETT, that carry ergothionine to the mitochondria directly. And what's fascinating about that is like, clearly if we have a transporter that's dedicated to this ingredient, we're meant to use this ingredient. And you can find it in certain organ meats, in certain beans. You said in mushrooms, right? In mushrooms, yeah. So in those ingredients. But what's really cool also is that, like I was saying, that it works on the mitochondria level. And that makes it unique in, in how it works versus like typical cellular antioxidants that I feel like have never really panned out, like where you have like a threshold where they can be counterproductive, you know, they can become pro-oxidant, where they can kind of impair the body's endogenous antioxidant activity. And so I just feel like typically antioxidants don't work, especially when used chronically in the way we want them to work. But this mitochondrial antioxidant actually has its own storage system too, where your body can store enough of it that like as needed, it can pull from it. So it's a really cool ingredient. It's actually an amino acid, trace amino acid, and you only need like about five to 10 milligrams of it. So it's a very interesting ingredient. And we're finding so many powerful things that come from mushrooms. One of my favorite immune health ingredients is AHCC from like reishi and shiitake. And then the polysaccharides we're finding boost the immune system. Beta-glucans boost the immune system. You're finding lion's mane and, and some of these mushrooms enhance resilience and are, are adaptogenic. And lion's mane enhances BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. So mushrooms really seem to be like an area of, of hot research and have so many health benefits. Hi friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference, May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and dry farm wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. 
I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. Hi friends. One of the most valuable things that I do every single night of my life is my infrared sauna session. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. I did a lot of research on infrared saunas before deciding on them. Their saunas are so high quality. They're low EMF. And what I really love is they have a solo unit. That's what I have. And it's really great if you live in a small apartment, might be moving. It's just really an amazing investment. And they have incredible deals and offers on it right now. You can actually get up to $200 off with the code Melanie Avalon. Or if you're talking to a rep, just tell them that I sent you. And like I said, that will be up to $200 off. And that will also get you $99 shipping. Normally the shipping is like $600. So that's a really, really big deal. And if you do purchase a sauna, forward your proof of purchase to podcast at melanieavalon.com. And I will also send you a signed copy of my book, What, When, Why. If you'd like to learn more about the science of sauna, two resources. I interviewed the founder of Sunlighten, Connie Zach. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I also recently did an epic blog post all about the science of sauna We'll also put that in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. I'm so glad you brought that up. That was actually a huge question that I had about antioxidants, specifically vitamin C. So I, as far as actual medication, quote, actual medication goes, I have hypothyroidism. So I have compounded thyroid medication. And then I also take low-dose naltrexone. I get my supplements compounded with vitamin C as the filler. And I've always had this question because it seems that, you know, taking exogenous antioxidants, especially in the fasted state, for example, might short circuit our body's own things that it would be doing in the fasted state. Like it could possibly be not beneficial. And Susan also, she said, how concerned should I be about vitamin C and antioxidants hindering muscle growth? Because I think a lot of people think that that might be an issue as well. So do you have thoughts about the actual dose of vitamin C needed to stop these processes that might be happening endogenously? Vitamin C is different than something like glutathione, like where like we don't make vitamin C and other species do. And, and it does seem like vitamin C, like I said, I occasionally I go into like a super, super high dose. You really can't go that high dose orally. It'll cause GI distress and you just won't get the same effect. But IV, you can go very, very, very high dose and you'll get a considerable benefit from it in terms of it actually can like kill cancer cells, for example, but actually help with protecting healthy cells. It's really interesting. It's kind of like how, you know, ketones can be used as fuel for healthy cells, but not for cancer cells and cancer cells use glucose and it's kind of a similar idea, but you're right. Like most antioxidants, like I was saying before, I really don't feel like pan out with, with all that we hope they would 
you know, people aren't feeling younger, doing better by taking tons of antioxidants. There is one exception I really feel like, and that's what I go into in the book, besides that ergothionine that I was talking about, and I do like vitamin C in general, but there is an exception and it's that class of polyphenols. And there is xenohormetics, like where they've actually taken on stress for the plant. So it's super cool that they, when you, when you take these compounds, things like resveratrol from red wine, polystilbene, terostilbene, sorry, from blueberries, EGCG from green tea, quercetin from onions and apples, fisetin, you know, these ingredients, apigenin is another one, they are sirtuin activators, sirtuin gene activators. So they're like caloric restriction mimetics. They are hormetics to your body. And they are, in fact, like what was dealing with the stress from the plant. So they have a similar effect on you. And that's what I like this common theme in the book is talking about resilience and kind of that allostatic load bucket and being able to increase the size of your stress bucket. And the polyphenols do that and things like adaptogens do that. Antioxidants really don't pan out the way that they should. So I, I agree. And when it comes to workouts, I would not put them around the workout. Different antioxidants are going to work on different oxidants. So it's not, it's not as straightforward as that. Some of them may actually improve your recovery from a workout, even after a workout. But it's ideal to just not put them directly around the workout. For listeners, have no fear. There is a full transcript of this at the show notes, which again is at melanieavalon.com slash energy formula, because I know we're talking about a lot of a lot of things, which are also all in John's book. So I'm just going to try to summarize what you just said. Is it basically that when we take things, antioxidants like vitamin C, that that's kind of, I mean, it's giving us something potentially beneficial and that it's, you know, canceling out oxidants or helping with that. It's not like a hormetic stress that's encouraging us to get stronger. It's like it's giving us something rather than teaching us how to do something. Exactly. So those polyphenols or or the ergothionine or the adaptogens are enhancing our resilience to deal with stress instead of trying to combat the stress like with an antioxidant that that's almost like removing the obstacle. It's trying to remove the obstacle versus like we have a greater capacity with some of these other compounds that I'm talking about to overcome the obstacle. And that might make sense why perhaps when there is a really beneficial role for taking high dose antioxidants would be when you're sick, for example, when you need all the help you can get. Right. Yeah. Taking and taking them acutely and not chronically. It's very different. And also speaking to that, because you spoke about all of these like polyphenols, for example, found in things like blueberries and red wine. And how do you feel about the health potential benefits from whole foods versus supplements? We actually got a question from, you might know him. Do you know Marty Kindle? Optimizing nutrition? Yes. Yes. He actually has a question. So it's kind of a two-parter. How much of supplements are absorbed in a usable form versus when they are contained in whole food? To what degree are the synergistic complementary nutrients important to getting the same benefits as you get from whole food? How do you feel about nutrients and vitamins in food versus supplemental form? 
it's a super convoluted argument. It's not that easy. I mean, there's, there's going to be certain nutrients that are going to be taken up better when they're fat soluble, when you have a fatty meal. So things like, you know, astaxanthin or, or fish oil or whatever is going to be taken up better when you have that fatty meal or vitamin D, for example. So when taken with food or with taken, you know, with oils, other oils, it's going to enhance it. Some supplements are just easier to digest. They don't have the GI distress, like when you're, when you have it with a meal, but that's, there's also some, some supplements that are actually taken up better on an empty stomach. It's not that straightforward. And then the people that just say, I'm going to get everything from my food. What food are you getting all this stuff from? I mean, one, our food is kind of depleted of nutrients. Our soil is depleted of nutrients. Then there's kind of these orthomolecular doses that we're looking at that certainly can't be achieved through food. So it's not, it's not that straightforward. And then Yes, it would be good if you're adding supplements onto an already healthy diet, but some people don't have a healthy diet. And I think the supplements are better off than doing nothing, you know, like, so all those arguments I always hear about supplements, not supplements, whole food, this and that, like, it's just not that straightforward. Yeah, that completely makes sense. And the mechanism of action with fat being important for absorbing vitamins like I thought it was because the fat was somehow transporting it across the membrane, but then I was told it's because fat stimulates the release of bile and then you need bile to absorb the vitamin. Is either or both of those correct? The bile would be breaking down the, the fat and emulsifying it so that it, it can be transported easier. Yeah. I mean, there, there's some truth to that. And yeah, I mean, essentially both of those are, are fairly true. I was interviewing the Caltons who wrote Rebuild Your Bones, and they were saying if you took supplements with just MCT oil, it wouldn't stimulate bile, and so it wouldn't provide absorption of fat-soluble vitamins. Yeah, that's not always true. I don't, I don't believe that to be true. There's actually cases that have been shown with MCTs enhancing bioavailability of, of fat-soluble compounds. The CBD I take is formulated with MCT. You have a great section on CBD in the book. Do you take CBD every day or at all? Or I do not. I don't. I don't really take anything every day because of that kind of exogenous, endogenous push pull. Like I just, I'd rather just take things here and there, and not use anything like just forever. Just because I don't want my body just fully adapting to like getting this one thing, and then that becomes baseline. And there's not tons of data on that. That's just more of a mindset for me that I just want to use something, you know, like with adaptogens, I might use like rhodiola for a month. I might use ashwagandha for a month. I might use lion's mane for a month and then nothing. And then cycle back through. Like that's just the way I've, I've approached it. It just makes sense to me. So with the CBD, what does that look like for you, for your schedule? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I just use it on when when I feel inflamed or when I feel like I really could use a great night's sleep, like if I'm traveling or things like that. But the endocannabinoid system is, is fascinating. And I think, you know, people just think CBD, like cannabidiol, like, you know, it's good for a couple things. And it's just one of the, the cannabinoids similar to THC or CBN or CBG, maybe some of these ones you've been hearing about. 
But this endocannabinoid system is a system like the circulatory system, like your neurological system. I mean, it's so critical to your body and to your health, but like we only just discovered it like, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. And it has so little research and it controls your mood, your appetite, your, your wellness, your ability to fight infections. Like there's so many things that are getting attributed to it now. And so many people have deficiencies of their endocannabinoid system. So people are seeing massive effects on their immune system, on pain, on cancer, on mood, you know, so it's, it's a really fascinating exploration with these endocannabinoids that are happening in the body and where there might be deficiencies that these phytocannabinoids, these plant cannabinoids might be filling in gaps. I think it's so interesting that CBD has only, I mean, relatively recently become sort of accepted and now it's everywhere, which I think is often a problem, you know, with regulation and purity and making sure you're getting quality products. I personally respond really, really well to to CBD. It just feels like my nervous system had a massage or something when I take it. And then things don't seem to bother me as much. And I, I, I don't get that bothered, but it just, I don't know, it has a really, really beneficial effect on me. Do you prefer isolated CBD versus like full spectrum or do you have a preference? Yeah, that's an interesting discussion too, because I say in the book, like I prefer that because again, like I know like what the effect will be consistently. If I have to take a higher dose, I'll take a higher dose. But when it's isolated or fully synthetic, then I know it's just pure CBD. I know what it's going to do. When you take the full spectrum, yes, there's the entourage effect and it may enhance its bioavailability. It may enhance some of the things it's doing, but bottle to bottle, lot to lot, company to company, like every single time you use it, it's going to feel different, be different, do different. And for me, that's just hard to work with scientifically. Like I would rather have something consistent that I can try and dose appropriately and figure out with my body than something that's like a moving target. Yeah, that makes sense. Have you tried the Feels brand? It's full spectrum, but that's the brand I use. I haven't. They're incredible. (laughs) Or I respond really well to it. I had had such stringent criteria and so many CBD brands would approach our podcast wanting to partner. And I was like, no, I got to wait until they hit all of my dots. So... It is full spectrum, but it's organic, MCT carrier, tested. I'm a big fan. I have heard really good things about it. I would like to try it actually at some point. I will get them to send you a bottle for sure. Try it out. Let me know what you think. So some more questions for you. We kind of already touched on this. It kind of relates to the the food question, but... Well, I'll just say it. So we have a question from Leslie and she said, how are powdered substances good for you? We say don't eat processed foods, but powdered whey protein or collagen is good for you. And then Rose also said whey powdered protein does not seem natural to me at all. How do you feel about the, especially within the paleo movement, there's this whole idea of natural and what we would have eaten in evolution. So how do you feel about the quote naturalness of supplements? You talk a lot in the book about like whey, for example, thoughts there. Yeah, you know, it's again, these are, these are great questions because they're things that come up a lot. It's like the discussion, like I remember with bodybuilding and, and sports nutrition that like what is a natural bodybuilder? Like, 
you know, they would say, well, he doesn't take steroids. And it's like, well, does he take supplements? Does he manipulate his diet through the ketogenic diet? Does he, you know, use red light therapy? Does he like what's natural? You know, like where do you draw the line on what natural means? All these biohacks are kind of unnatural, right? Like the ketogenic diet isn't very typical or intermittent fasting or like I said, red light or cold plunges or like what, what is defined as natural. But going back into like the powders, I, I understand what she's saying. And certainly if you feel like you can achieve all these things through whole food, awesome. If you're eating bones and bone broth and cartilage and tendons and ligaments and skin, then you're getting your collagen. And if you're eating plenty of bioavailable protein, maybe you don't need the whey protein. But if you're not getting those things, if you're not eating like that, then whey is one of the best biological value proteins in existence. It's the highest in BCAAs and in particular leucine that drives muscle protein synthesis. It has in about 25 grams of whey, it has over two and a half grams of leucine. And that is the most key amino acid to drive anabolism, growth and recovery of the muscle. And then there's other growth factors that are present in whey. And it's just convenient to get 25, 30 grams of protein that can really help spike that, again, that bolus of leucine and then also the essential amino acids to reinforce the growth and recovery and positive nitrogen balance. So it's just, and, and collagen is a totally different type of protein. About a third of the body is made up of collagen. Like I said, hair, skin, nails, ligaments, all this connective tissue like fascia, all this stuff, like your bones and joints. And that's why you feel better. Your skin looks brighter. Your joints feel better when you take collagen. So ideally, you actually get something like whey and collagen at the same time. There's hardly any leucine, hardly any BCAs or essential amino acids in collagen. There's hydroxyproline, proline, glycine, some other amino acids that are, again, responsible for more of this connective tissue, this glue, it's where the word cola comes from, in the body. So taking the two together would be great. Now, if you're eating a whole animal, you're getting the skin, the tendon, the ligaments, the muscle, the you're getting all this stuff, but do we eat like that? No. So it's just, if you're truly paleo and you're like paleo gangster and you're just like eating nose to tail and, you know, going all in like, cool. But if you're not, and that doesn't sound good to you, then again, it's like, what are you eating? How are you eating? Like, like taking a supplement's certainly better than nothing. So I'm more of a realist. I was actually reading, I don't know if it was an article or a study, but it was basically positing that red light therapy should be banned. I think in the Olympics, it would be the same thing as taking like some sort of supplement or like performance enhancing drugs. Yeah. PEDs. Yeah. Okay. This is such a random rabbit hole tangent, but I have to ask you while we're talking about all of the, the glycine, the leucine, all the things I went down a rabbit hole, like the rabbit hole of all rabbit holes, researching the balance of different amino acids and particularly the benefits of glycine. And there's this fascinating study where they were comparing like scallops, cod, and then I think two non-fish, so like probably like chicken or something, and all of the effects on the body. And the effects from the scallops, which this journal article was hypothesizing was all from the glycine content, 
was, I mean, insane, like the inflammation, the effects on the liver, so many things. And then I started researching glycine more and more and more. And so I've been doing an experiment where I, (laughs) cause I eat a lot of meat and seafood and now I'm eating just scallops. Basically the effects on my inflammation, my sleep, my just overall being has been pretty intense. And now I'm wondering more and more if the health benefits of plant-based diets, for example, if like how important is the methionine ratio and glycine and all of these things. Do you have thoughts about amino acids and longevity and the ratios and plants and animals and all of that? (laughs) It's a lot. Yeah, it's a great question. And And it goes back to what I was talking about before. And it makes sense that you really should have a certain ratio because yes, like eating muscle is going to help your muscle. Having enough of these essential amino acids are going to be anabolic for your muscle recovery and that nitrogen retention. And again, having enough leucine to drive muscle protein synthesis, as well as prevent muscle protein breakdown. It's kind of a a net ratio that equals muscle accretion. So if your muscle protein synthesis is higher than your muscle protein breakdown, then, then you're having a greater amount of muscle gain. But to have that all the other protein, like the, this connective tissue that's so critical to your body to support that muscle through the joints, the tendons, the ligaments, the bones, the skin, the fascia, super important. So obviously having that ratio of both of those things like that would occur if you were eating an animal nose to tail, that makes sense to me just evolutionarily. And it's something that we've clearly gotten away from. We're just eating skeletal muscle. Like we're not eating skin and tendons and ligaments and bones and and all the other things. So we're certainly out of alignment there. And we're not nourishing all that connective tissue to support that muscle tissue. It goes back to just getting back to the way things naturally would have been. The studies on glycine and alcohol intake in particular are really fascinating. Basically, I mean, one of them was showing that it almost reversed liver damage just by adding a lot of glycine to the diet. It was really, really fascinating. That's a great amino acid to take at night. It is a neurotransmitter and it does taste sweet, which is cool because it it can be like a, a sugar replacement, but you can take it at night and it will help relax you. So it's nice to take like a magnesium glycinate is actually one of my favorite forms of magnesium. It's enhancing the bioavailability of the magnesium by being an amino acid chelate, plus you're getting the glycine to help you relax, and it's just a win-win. I'm still trying to figure out, because like I said, I've been eating scallops by the pound, if the sweetness is from the glycine, or some people online say it's the glycine, some people say it's glycogen, that it's actually carbs, like sugar. I don't know. (laughs) It's haunting me. I don't think that there's a whole lot of carbohydrate in scallops, and I don't think that there's much stored muscle carbohydrate in the scallop is glycogen. That seems odd to me, but... It does. The glycine thing seems more likely. It does to me too, but they also do list carbs on the back, which is really fascinating, like on the nutrition label. And you would think that that glycogen could vary highly based on like how active it is and like... How active the little scallop is, (laughs) yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's weird. Literally what I was thinking. We're on the same page. And if it's a keto scallop, then no. Nah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Speaking of keto, another rabbit hole question. You mentioned briefly in the book CD38. 
Do you have thoughts about, I was reading Joel Green's immunity code book and I also brought him on the show and he talks about the potential long-term detrimental effects of keto diets and CD38. Do you have thoughts about CD38? What is CD38? CD38 is like NADAs. Like it's going to be lowering your levels of NAD present, which is like cellular fuel to produce energy. And we make less NAD as we age, but we also catalyze more of it, break it down more quickly as we age. So there's just a lot less of it hanging around. And so that's where like taking NMN could be helpful, taking these NAD sprays that we talk about or IVs, you know, taking also the the polyphenols, typically most of them increase uh, levels of NAD. And then there's a couple of the polyphenols that actually inhibit CD38 or NADAs like apigenin and quercetin. They actually inhibit the breakdown of NADs. They help it hang around longer. So there could be some synergy in in taking those things. But yeah, I think CD38 and keto, you know, I think it's just, it's, it's because you're, you're metabolically a little bit different. It's kind of like when, when people say that keto lowers your thyroid and yes, it does, but it, it enhances the thyroid sensitivity. And it's just, we're just very metabolically different when we're in a ketogenic state. If you look at almost any animal model with a ketogenic diet or intermittent fasting and or both elevated ketones, lower blood glucose, lower insulin, I mean, these animals are living dramatically longer. It may not pan out the same way in humans, but like in typical animal models, they're living like 30% longer. So I don't see anything that would lead me to believe that you're somehow reduced. Are you less adapted to using glucose and and those pathways if you're ketogenic yeah but does that mean that you're you're not more efficient you know it's it's a really interesting discussion then we don't have all the science on that so it's hard to say i'm so glad you said blood glucose i would have been so upset if i forgot to bring this up berberine (laughs) i've gone through about six or seven rounds of cgms and experimenting with berberine. I think this is actually the first thing you and I talked about on Instagram was berberine. I saw massive, massive beneficial effects on my blood sugar. And I've been getting a lot of questions about berberine. You talk about berberine in the book. So what are your thoughts on berberine? Teen, I don't know if it's teen or tine. She wants to know if you have any brands you recommend or dosages. Susan wants to know, are there any studies looking at taking it longer than three months? And Amy wants to know, what might it mean if after taking berberine, I get a massive headache? I did get other questions from listeners wanting to know if if it had detrimental effects potentially on muscle. So berberine. Wait, is that one that you take every day? I got all those answers. Oh, good. I'm excited. (laughs) No, not every day, but I do take it quite often. Berberine is a glucose disposal agent similar to metformin. Metformin is a drug that's so popular in in anti-aging has been used for decades and and people are seeing enhanced lifespan and health span through it with lower CRP levels, lower hemoglobin A1C levels, improved sirtuin activity, etc. Like so metformin is one of the most powerful compounds we know of 
for anti-aging, reducing advanced glycation end products, et cetera. And so berberine is the herbal equivalent of metformin. And in a head-to-head study, berberine actually outperformed it on, on several markers, including with lipids and inflammation. Can I ask you a really quick question? Yeah, yeah. Do you know, was metformin, like was berberine the model for metformin? Do you know? Like, was that the plant they were? I mean, I don't know. Yes, actually. And if you actually go back, what's interesting is berberine and metformin were originally used for antivirus before they were actually known to be, you know, help with blood glucose and glycation. The original purpose was to be an antiviral with malaria and some things like that. And I do believe that they will help dramatically. There isn't the the research to show this yet, but there's some research with the flu. And I believe that because they've shown that metformin, when given with a flu vaccine, enhanced its effect. I believe that berberine, or what I'll talk about in a second, dihydroberberine or metformin, would actually help against the battle of COVID-19, by the way. So that's a, that's a complete rabbit hole for sure. But yes, I think berberine is, is really, that's a natural glucose disposal agent that was found in nature. And yes, like the the drug was based off of that. So it's a glucose disposal agent. They all are, whether you're talking about berberine, metformin, dihydroberberine. It works via AMPK, AMP kinase. And there's some people that think that that's a catabolic process. So you maybe shouldn't use it because it might hinder muscle gains, which is what you were talking about. But that's not necessarily true. Uh, Peter Atia was talking about this recently on one of his podcasts. There's a study with an animal model that shows that they had just as much strength, slightly less hypertrophy, but just as much strength. So there actually may be greater muscle density by using a glucose disposal agent. Further, you're increasing insulin sensitivity. You're, you would be enhancing the shuttling of amino acids into the muscle, you're having better nutrient partitioning, which means like you're more likely to store glucose in the muscle rather than in the fat. And so there's a lot of things that are going on that are preferential towards body composition. So I would say it's not something to worry about, but again, I might not use it around a workout specifically. So just use it at times other than the workout. And to get into berberine versus dihydroberberine, both berberine and metformin have similar bioavailability. They can have some GI distress. Berberine does not have the B12 deficiency issue that metformin has. And metformin was pulled from the market recently for being tainted. While I love it as a drug, I do think berberine or dihydroberberine are preferred. Dihydroberberine is the one I've been involved in in terms of patenting. The original research showed that it was about five times more bioavailable and didn't have the GI distress because in your body, you convert berberine to dihydroberberine at the gut level, and then it gets transported to the plasma and then converted back to berberine again. And so you don't have to convert it for that step. And so it's more bioavailable and less of that GI distress. And then you can take a much lower dose. What's really cool is we just finished a study. It hasn't been published yet. But we were actually seeing like a 12x difference with the dihydroberberine. And what's really crazy is it lasted a lot longer too. Usually you don't see this, like where something like 
spikes much higher. You know, usually it you know is goes away quicker, depletes faster as well, and and you're not going to see it last longer. But this is a case where it's like dramatically better bioavailability, and it and its half life is dramatically better. So instead of taking like 500 milligrams three times a day, like like you might recommend with berberine. With dihydroberberine, we're recommending 100 to 150 twice a day, and we're getting incredible results. I myself, when I was originally working with berberine before I patented dihydroberberine, I had this was insane. I was I was testing like glucose challenge, so taking like 75 grams. In, normally in a hospital, you do a 75 gram dextrose load. I was going to have fun and have, I think it was like three Oreos and two frosted Pop-Tarts. And, and I did this one challenge one week with the berberine and one without. And I looked at a blood glucometer every 30 minutes for two hours. The first time I did it without the berberine, I was at 65, 70, somewhere in there for blood glucose. And I went all the way up to 199. And which is insanely high by taking these double stuff Oreos and the Pop Tarts and all this stuff. And that 199 was at two hours. I don't even know if I was like how soon I was coming back down. When I took the berberine, I was at 60 to 70 as well for my baseline. I never got above 100. And at one hour, I was already coming back down. An insane difference. This is the dye. How do you say it again? Dihyde. No, no, no. This is this is regular berberine. So dihydroberberine is is even more effective at a much lower dose. But I mean, that was like the beginning of my research that led me to dihydroberberine. I'm like, this stuff is insane. <laughs> like, this is. I mean, there's no other. It's literally like my number one anti aging. Like everyone should be on this compound. Like when someone's like, "What's your top supplement?" I'm like, berberine, dihydroberberine. Like if you want to support me, my research, my patent, dihydroberberine. But if you just want to get something cheap and get on it, get on just regular berberine. But it's an incredible compound that is potently anti-aging. There's no reason you shouldn't be taking it. And even if you think, well, I'm not diabetic, I don't need that stuff. If you're diabetic, there's like zero doubt you should be on it. But even if you're not diabetic, lowering insulin, lowering blood glucose, lowering advanced glycation end products, lowering inflammation, dyslipidemia, you know, all these things are going to be profound for extending life. And some people say another thing that's come up with metformin or and then is kind of extrapolated to, to berberine is that it has a, a negative impact on the mitochondria. It's going back to that idea of hormesis. It has a mildly hindering effect on the mitochondria, but what we see is that it's actually causing mitohormesis. So it's like taking your mitochondria to the gym and giving them a little bit of a workout. Now, if you took way too much of this stuff, maybe it could like cross a threshold where it's actually counterproductive to the mitochondria. But as we're seeing it at the doses we're taking it and why it's enhancing lifespan, it's actually improving the mitochondrial effect. I don't think I realized that you had the patent on that. That's incredible. So do you produce a version of it that people can buy? I don't produce it. I, I've patented it and work with a partner on, on a number of ingredients that I've, that I've patented and, and researched. And that's Glucovantage is the name of the ingredient, dihydroberberine. 
One of my favorite products that has it is Genius Blood Sugar. That's a great brand. I love this brand, Genius. I don't make any money from them. They just make really, really good products and use all branded ingredients. And I love that. It's just, and again, straightforward labeling, none of their proprietary blends. They're just a great company. Awesome. Well, for listeners, I will put that in the show notes. I want to be really respectful of your time. I think a nice question to kind of bring everything full circle. She's asking about supplements, but I think it kind of can speak to everything that listeners might utilize or start doing from after reading your book. So supplements, lifestyle, diet. Anna says, how do you know they're actually doing anything? Sometimes I wonder if anyone else has the same sentiment. She'll say, she says, everyone will say, I took a drop of quote, unicorn tears, B42 and feel amazing. And then I just feel like I've been taking this for three weeks and I'm not dead, but I'm not sure if anything is different. And then Sarah also said, how do you know if something is really working? I just have no idea if some things are working. So when it comes to supplements that we're taking, diet, lifestyle, the different mindset approaches people might try, how do we know if things are working? Is it all intuition? To some degree, to some degree, you know, as I've explored the plant medicine space that like, you know, that's interesting you say that, like when you become more attuned to your body, I think, and you become more present and mindful, like we were talking about at the beginning of the show that like, when you become more centered, you can become more aware of what something is doing to your body. If you're like spinning out of control, if you're hacking or you're grinding, you have no idea what's happening to you. You're just like surviving. You're like, or, or, you know, in transition, you're not like present and aware of what's going on in your body. And to your point, the bio-individuality is something I go through in the book that like, you really should look at one thing at a time. If your kitchen sinking it, then you have no idea what's going on or what's, what's attributable to what. So you really need to do one change at a time, one intervention at a time. And then you can see, does that work for me? Does it not? Not every supplement is experiential, but some you're just going to have to take on faith, you know, something like maybe CoQ10 or, you know, whatever that that might be more of like a kind of faith thing. But a lot of the ingredients I work on are experiential and I, I feel like you can test them. And, and if not just feeling them, at least like, for example, with the dihydroberberine or berberine, you could look at that with a CGM or with a glucometer and you could see the difference. And, you know, I think within weeks, you'd see the difference in your, in your waistline or in your ketone levels, if you're on keto and, and how you feel. So, you know, these ingredients, many of them can be felt, but it just depends on your presence of mind and, and how centered you are and how aware you are of your body. There's just people are in very different places and, and it's hard to say. And again, bioindividuality means some supplements work for some people, some don't. We actually saw in the dihydroberberine study that I was just alluding to, there were hyper responders. There, there were people that were like dramatically different than the other people. And trying to deduce why that is, you know, like that's actually something we're looking into. But I see that in a lot of studies. There's non-responders. There's kind of average responders and then there's hyper responders. And then we typically get the study data as being like this statistical average. You don't see that like there's like wildly, you know, different effects from these supplements on, on various people. So that's not something that we actually talk about much, but it's something that I see in a lot of studies. 
Well, thank you for saying all that. That really brings everything full circle, the importance of mindset, intuition, individuality. So listeners, get the energy formula. It is one of the most comprehensive, amazing, beautiful, inspiring, helpful books that I can personally ever recommend. Do not hesitate to get it. Okay. So I have a random question for you, Sean. Yes. We talked about a lot of things, a lot of different compounds, supplements. I'm just dying to know, because I took a lot of notes and I read your book and there are so many things you talk about. Are there any specific compounds we didn't talk about already that you are feeling the need to share with the audience that you think would benefit them greatly? I'd love to go through several of them that I think are really exciting. And I think your audience would love it as well. And they're ingredients that I've personally worked on. So let's just get into them. And one is exogenous ketones right off the bat. I know you're a ketone fan being a fasting queen that you are. And some people wonder whether exogenous ketones are even something you should take or not, whether you should take them on a fast or not, what makes the difference between ketone esters and salts, which salts are best. There's a lot of good questions there. So first off, should you take them during a fast? Maybe I should even, I'm curious to know actually your thoughts on breaking a fast. I just ran an extended fasting challenge. And my thoughts are people get so caught up in breaking a fast and what that means. And sometimes I feel like maybe something that you took would quote unquote, break your fast for like five minutes or an hour. But does it really matter if it ends up helping you go an extra five hours? And to me, the biggest thing is the mental component of it versus autophagy or weight loss or some of these things and and breaking a fast, like you permanently break it and you start all over. That thought is crazy to me, but I love the idea of with an extended fast, how you tap into your willpower and you see that it can be done and I can do things that most people think are impossible. And to me, if you do some bone broth or ketones or you know, something that helps like get you through. Awesome. (laughs) Like that's awesome. Like good for you. Like, and then continue to explore, maybe not doing those things next time or whatever, or doing it a little further out next time. But that's a kind of grander discussion. Do you have anything on that? Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hack. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually 
immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes, all the time, with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalonsCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalonsCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalonsCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalonsCloset.com. Hi friends. Okay. So I'm a little bit embarrassed because I've been talking for so long about red light and near infrared therapy, which is so, so important. However, I kind of left out something really important about light. So as you guys know, I've been talking about red light and near infrared for so long. And at the same time during the day, I was using a bright, sad light. So it's those white lights that help with waking you up, help with your circadian rhythm. They're used to combat mood issues and depression. So I have a really bright white one of those at my desk. A few things about that. I knew it helped wake me up and kept me stimulated, but I wasn't sure if it had any detrimental effects using it. And then two, I was also wondering if by just focusing on red and near infrared light, was I somehow missing something in the full spectrum of light? Guess what? I was. And guess what? I found the solution. And guess what? I have a discount for you guys. So the founder of a company called Soulshine reached out to me and he was like, do you know about the importance of full spectrum light? And I was like, you know what? I've been wondering about this for quite a while. Please educate me. Oh my goodness. This man blew my mind. I talk a lot about the problems of blue light. That said, we evolved in natural full spectrum sunlight that our genes are programmed to respond to. And today we do not spend enough time in that light. A lot of us don't go outside and we're overexposed to blue light. It's a problem. And then to make things even more problematic, the common sad lights that I was talking about that are bright white, they actually do not contain the full spectrum light. They filter out certain wavelengths and they're high in blue light. So just like I thought, it was not doing my health many services. There is only one company I have found, or I guess that found me, that makes a full spectrum white light device. So the Soul Light Systems include the fullest spectrum of visible and invisible near-infrared light with traces of UV light. Yep, that's right, because you need all of that as well. Don't worry, 
It's not an exuberant amount that's going to cause a problem. It's just a tiny little dose that your body actually needs. You can use these lights to fix your circadian rhythm and properly stimulate your brain's suprachiasmatic nucleus or SCN in a way that it was supposed to be stimulated. It's kind of like the natural spectral diet. Because yes, you may be suffering from malillumination. Did you know that your entire bloodstream actually filters through your eyes in a relatively short amount of time? That's the only way your blood is exposed to the outside world. So when we expose our eyes to this light, it actually can have beneficial effects on our blood. That is crazy. It helps with skin, with mood. This is the light that I wasn't thinking about. That we need. I love Soulshine's light therapy devices. I do use it in combination with my red and near infrared light devices as well, so that I can fully bathe my body in the best light that is so helpful for my sleep, for my stress, for my metabolism, for my immunity, for my health, so many things. They have so many different device options. They have one that I love that kind of looks like a juve and I sit it on my desk and it has options for the full spectrum light, which is that bright white light, as well as an ear infrared option. So what I do is I do a session of the full spectrum light in the morning and then I run the near infrared to help counteract the negative blue light around me. They also have stands with bulbs that you can get. I've been using some of those on my plants. I am just so grateful that Ken at Soulshine found me because I was missing out on such a key aspect of light and I had no idea. And you can get 10% off at melanieavalon.com slash soulshine. That's S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code Melanie Avalon. So melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code Melanie Avalon for 10% off. It's really helped my mood, my energy, my sleep, so many things. I think you guys will love it. So again, go to melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to get 10% off site-wide. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. Friends, You guys know I love wine. Do you love wine? I've done a lot of research on wine, and I truly believe there are a myriad of health benefits. The longest-lived populations drink wine. The polyphenols have a ton of potential health benefits, activating anti-aging sirtuins, potentially supporting our immunity, maybe even encouraging weight loss. Yep, it's actually not alcohol that makes people gain weight. It's what they eat when they drink. But if you want all of the benefits of wine, the type of wine you're drinking is key. Conventional wine in the US is often full of toxins. We're talking things like pesticides, mold, and additives. Dyes, colorizers, artificial flavors. Have you even seen some wine that says vegan? That's because conventional wine isn't even necessarily vegan because of the additives. I am obsessed with a company called Dry Farm Wines. They're not a wine producer, but rather a wine investigator. They go all throughout Europe and they find the wineries practicing organic practices, and then they test those wines to make sure the wines are, wait for it, low alcohol, low sugar, free of toxins, free of mold, and truly supportive of your health. I'm obsessed with Dry Farm Wines. One of the most fun things for me as a wine lover is you get mixed boxes of wine and it introduces you to varietals from all over the world. The wines taste amazing and you can say goodbye to hangovers. If you think you can't drink wine, you've got to try Dry Farm Wines. I am obsessed. You can get a bottle for a penny. Yes, a penny. Just go to dryfarmwines.com slash melanieavalon and use the coupon code melanieavalon to claim your penny bottle. That's dryfarmwines.com slash melanieavalon. All right, now back to the show. I'll comment. (laughs) Um, 
of this topic. So as you know, I'm also the host of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast, and we get this question every single day of my life. And on that show, so my co-host, Jen, do you know Jen, Jen Stevens? I don't. Okay. I'll have to introduce you. She wrote Fast Feast Repeat, which came out in June-ish. It was a New York Times bestseller, which was really exciting for both of us. But in any case, so her thing is very much the quote, the clean fast and not breaking the fast. So it's very much like water, black coffee, tea only, nothing else. I am more lenient in that I have different thoughts. One, I think that there's some things that if you put them in your body and they create similar epigenetic changes as fasting. So if it's creating something that is similar to what fasting is creating, I don't really see how that's breaking the fast if it's in a way amplifying the fast. Right. Like MCTs or exogenous ketones that are just putting you deeper into ketosis. Well, so MCTs, I'm on the fence. I know like C8 MCTs would be the closest thing. The reason I'm on the fence is that you might take an C8 MCTs. It's not affecting insulin. It's not affecting mTOR. You're still in a quote fasted state, but you could be taking in an exuberant amount of calories. And so I feel like it's important to understand that in that state, you might, you know, just be running off the MCT, not your body fat anymore. And I think that can be important information for people to understand. Yeah. Most people are taking like a tablespoon or even like a teaspoon of, of MCTs. Like, I don't think it's that impactful. And and how long, like if you're you're not eating any food, how long would you be running off that? Like, I don't know, 30 minutes, an hour? Like, again, I just wonder, like when someone has more energy for life and they're not feeling like I just have to lay around and like, and then I just want to eat and like, screw this fast. Like, to me, that's like someone does that and then they have energy and then they're like, I'm going to stick with this fast for another eight hours. Like that's a massive win. to like take something that keeps you going. But you know, there's a lot of perspective. Yeah. I think in that case, it's perfect. I think some people like for me, if I take MCTs during the fast, it makes me hungrier. I've seen a lot of people have that response. So I think if it doesn't have that response, it has a valid place for a lot of people, like you said, when taking it is going to make it easier or extend their fasting potential. So listeners might be shocked. Yeah. I think by and large, I just encourage people to just explore and not beat yourself up. Like, cause the, the perfect recipe for you is out there. And like, you can do like something that's autophagy focused the next time, like, you know, and like this time can be more about exploring, like how long can you go? Like, and you know, when are you feeling tired? When do you get energized? Like, what does that look like? Like for me, I felt like 7 p.m. at night was a great time to start because like when I hit like 24 hours when I'm getting really hungry, I'm going to bed. And like the next morning is like around 36 hours is like when I'm feeling energized and like not as hungry. Like, and it's all stuff I've kind of learned along the way. But anyway, I digress. (laughs) I was just curious on your thoughts on that. So exogenous ketones, which I do feel like is okay on fast, but it just depends what your goals are. They're pretty incredible when it comes to getting deeper into ketosis. And if you know what that feels like, there's a lot of people that do keto that really don't know what ketosis feels like because they're always hovering around that kind of in, kind of not in, you know, because they're doing net carbs and 
you know, it's maybe they're in a caloric surplus and all these different things that they're not really that deep into ketosis. And, you know, they might not be doing like glycogen depletive exercises and all that kind of stuff or using glucose disposal agents or that. So if you actually do use ketone esters or salts, you can feel what it feels like to get into a much deeper state of ketosis, like being in an extended fast. And when you use them on a fast, it can help more to get into that cognitive clarity, to induce greater satiety, to not feel as much appetite-wise. And it can be a fuel source as well. So my favorite form of ketones that I was involved on the patent of is the active isomer, the RBHB, or it's also called DBHB, and not the mixed isomer. Most of the exogenous ketone supplements are mixed isomer. And so the active isomer is going to raise ketone levels in the plasma about two to three times better. Why this is really good is because most of these are mineral salts and you get to a threshold where too much calcium, magnesium, sodium can be overwhelming to your body and you might have GI distress, you might have hypertension or you know something like where it's just not ideal. So you're reducing that mineral load substantially by using the active isomer and then feeling the ketones more. So, and then beyond that, interesting data that I have from examining these various mineral salts is that the sodium BHB is about 30% better than the other forms. The magnesium and, and calcium in particular was the worst performing. It tends to have almost like a buffering effect. And I don't know if like the sodium with like the sodium potassium pump kind of thing, like, you know, it's like, it just it just gets taken up better and, and plasma BHB rises more. So interesting thing there. I do like taking about five grams of RBHB sodium. So that's my favorite. And then some other ingredients. So MCTs been involved on C8 MCTs, caprylic acid. That's the the best form out there, the most ketogenic of the MCTs. C12, lauric acid, doesn't really raise ketones. It is antiviral, and I do love monolaurin when it comes to improving the immune system. C10, which is about 50% of most MCTs, is just okay at raising ketones. And then C8 is just markedly better, like anywhere from like 20 to 50% better than C10. So that's the one you want to get, and you just look for caprylic acid or C8-MCTs or something like that. I have a quick comment on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. We were talking about this before. I just interviewed Dave Asprey the other day, and we were talking about the C8, C10, C12, and he I hadn't heard this before. He actually said that the C12, it was a pretty arbitrary assignment of it being a medium-chain triglyceride. Like The person who decided that just sort of arbitrarily decided that that number was medium, but it really actually is a long chain, like in spirit. Yeah. And C6 is some people consider medium chain and, and some people consider it a short chain. So there are some of these transitional ones that are a little confusing, if you will, that might have some benefits of both. There is some data with C12 on it improving astrocyte health, like pretty markedly. So especially like with Alzheimer's, so like that could be the case, like where having coconut oil along with the MCTs, you know, might have additional benefits. So 
it's not just all one is, you know, the best and all the others suck. So, but C8 is definitely the best when it comes to being ketogenic. Let's see, Beba. So Beba, super, super awesome. Really wanted to talk about this exercise mimetic. So you might have heard of ACAR, GW50156. These are compounds that mimic the effect of exercise. So literally like the holy grail known as exercise in a bottle, even though we can't say that FDA-wise, you have to have a disclaimer around with healthy exercise and diet, I believe is, is the term. So what we look at with those compounds is that they augment exercise. They enhance every rep or every step. And beta, which is uh, beta amino isobutyric acid, is something that your body makes. It's really cool. When you're exercising intensely, your body will catabolize the BCAA muscle pool amino acids for fuel. And, it'll, and specifically, it'll take valine, which is one of the BCAAs, and it will convert into BABA. And BABA then becomes the signal for your body that your body is intensely exercising. And what's really cool is almost everything that's associated with intense exercise, think of like increased bone mineral density, reduced fat mass, improved muscle mass, better glycogen storage, improved VO2 max, increased BDNF in the brain, brain-derived neurotrophic factor with neuroplasticity, improved brown adipose tissue activity and number. Like you can just go on and on and on, like neuromuscular activity and, you know, all this stuff is associated with in enhanced levels of beba in the plasma. And so we've been working on this compound and it, and it really is like a holy grail. And so if we can enhance levels of beba, then you're going to get enhanced adaptation effects from exercise across the board. So this is really cool to literally like think of like your, you know, 30 or 45 minute workout being like an hour workout or, you know, your eight reps being like 12 reps to your body or things like that. So really excited about this compound. We're doing more research on it. We just showed in animals and in humans that when you orally administer it, it does raise it in the plasma. And now we're doing exercise studies and I'm just really, really pumped about this compound because it's just super exciting. When do you think that'll be available? It's available now. We're already selling it. Some, some companies are kind of ahead of things like before we have like our our full like human exercise trials published. Those studies are underway right now, but there's companies already selling it because the data, like there's literally like, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50 studies on BABA, like when it comes to the endogenous form and how it is the Holy Grail. So there's actually a lot of data there and there's a number of studies with administration to animals but there's not any studies with humans yet, and that's what we're working on. We did do the data on grass and toxicology, meaning generally recognized as safe. So we've proven that it is safe for oral consumption. And again, we've done human studies where we're showing that it does raise levels in the plasma. So we're just waiting on, on the data to come out with the, the human exercise trials. I've been using it for about a year and and uh, have several other people using it and 
seeing tremendous results. There's a number of companies, Man Sports, Alpha Lion. I can't remember them all. There's probably about 10 or 12 companies already that are using it. And we just released it maybe a month or two ago. So that's one to look for. And I will keep you posted on. Anandamide is literally the bliss chemical in the endocannabinoid system. So if you know the ECS in the body, that's one of the systems that's really underappreciated. Obviously, you hear about the nervous system and the circulatory system and all these kinds of things, but we never hear about the ECS. And it's literally known as the master regulator system. So it controls mood and well-being and pain and inflammation and like a lot of these things. And it's and no one talks about it. There's no doctor of the ECS, you know, no like medical doctor that like the specializes on. Yeah, I, I deal only in the endocannabinoid system. Like you don't hear that. And you hear a lot about the data on CBD and certainly THC and some of these things. But there are deficiencies, both genetic and diet that people have that leaves them to not have an ideal ECS activity. And what's really cool is one of the compounds in particular that's made endogenously is called anandamide. And anandamide is literally the bliss chemical. So you, you feel like a euphoria when you have some of these phytocannabinoids, which means the plant-based cannabinoids that can act on the endocannabinoid system. So if you think about not only the compounds from marijuana or hemp, but they're actually present in skullcap and lemon balm and oregano and a number of, of plant-based compounds have phytocannabinoids. But in particular, this anandamide raises that feeling of bliss or euphoria. And I've been working on this compound for a while. It's a fatty acid, so it kind of looks like coconut oil at room temperature. But just a small amount for 30 minutes or so, and you can feel like a massive mood uptick. It's similar to like when I take oxytocin or, you know, something like that. Like you just feel happy and good. And we're actually working on ways to extend its activity. There's an inhibitor that I'm working on that will maybe make it last for a few hours. So that's really cool too. Does taking it downregulate natural production of anything? Like as a negative? No, not that we've seen. If anything, like taking anandamide would, again, kind of stimulate parasympathetic nervous system and reduce, like it would increase endorphins and reduce pain and inflammation. Like, I don't know if you've ever had like that kind of like, you know, the what J-Lo calls like the goosies on, on their TV show, the dance show or whatever. Like whenever you feel like that euphoric flush, you also feel like pain and inflammation kind of leave your body. This would be like that. So there's no real downsides to, uh, from what I know. Maybe if you were chronically taking it 24-7, there might be some potential disparity. But I mean, for the most part, if you think about, I remember, I can't remember the exact number. Like when we're, when we're children, we're smiling and laughing literally on the magnitude of like 100x to what we are as adults. So it's not normal how serious and tough we are on ourselves. So I think taking something like this, you know, from time to time would be ideal, if anything. Awesome. 
So dehydrosindrome, this is a compound that comes from ginger, and it's an active metabolite that raises metabolism. So we've known that ginger is thermogenic for a long time, and it's got that spicy burn that's common with things like cayenne and capsaicin and, and some of these other compounds that have been explored for being thermogenic, meaning increasing body heat and therefore caloric expenditure. What's nice with things like capsaicin or, or this dehydrosindrome is that they're not doing it as a stimulant. They're doing it as a thermogenic spicy compound. And so this is an active compound that does that. What's really cool is this vanillin receptor that these compounds tend to work on. Also, again, going back to that pain and inflammation idea, it helps modulate pain and inflammation. And that's why like if you use like, you know, icy hot or, you know, these capsaicin creams or whatever, they blunt pain and inflammation. And it's a really fascinating effect. So we're seeing not only is it going to increase metabolism, but it's going to reduce pain and inflammation. And there's another compound that works similarly called grains of paradise that I've really seen tremendous results from. And only 40 milligrams is burning an extra 100 calories a day, one dose. So we don't even know like what 80 milligrams does once a day or what 80 milligrams would do twice a day. And we're exploring that now, but that's a very potent effect. And what's really cool is we don't know what dehydrosyndrome if, if it does this, but we know at Grains of Paradise that it does, that it affects brown adipose tissue. And brown adipose tissue is kind of a holy grail going back to that. Like it may be the reason that some people can eat and eat and eat and not gain weight because it's the most thermogenic, most metabolically active tissue. It's the reason the tissue is brown is because it's mitochondrial dense. And you only have about six or seven ounces of it around your collarbone, your clavicle. And I think it's there because that's, it's protecting the organs of the core, like particularly like the lungs and the heart. And, you know, like even if your limbs get cut off, like you could maintain some level of heat. And up until about six months, we lack the ability to shiver as a baby. And the way that we maintain heat for homeostasis of our body temperature is through brown adipose tissue. But some people have more brown adipose tissue in terms of number, and some people have more active brown adipose tissue in terms of its activity. And we don't know 100% why, but things like cold thermogenesis, so jumping in the icy lake like I have, or jumping in a cold plunge or cold showers are going to help. We've seen that. And also taking something like this compound which is kind of a gingery, spicy compound that's actually used in Sam Adams beer and you can use as a pepper on your foods and all that kind of stuff. But grains of paradise, especially this one that's standardized for 6-paradol, upregulates brown adipose tissue activity and number. So it's going to like enhance that, that thermogenic caloric expenditure effect. So again, just super small dose and kind of a fascinating dive into like what its effect metabolically is on us if you were to take it more often or higher doses. And that's something we're exploring right now. And nucleotides. So nucleotides are the building blocks of RNA and DNA, and they can be conditionally essential, similar to amino acids. 
when you are exercising or stressed at a high level. And so if you're, if you're someone who's intensely exercising or you're someone who's going through a lot, physically, mentally, etc., then these nucleotides can help with your recovery, these, these building block compounds. So that's something that I've been exploring more as well, you know, almost like as the basics, like along with essential fatty acids and essential amino acids and, you know, maybe certain sugars or carbohydrates that could feed the gut in certain ways. I've been looking at these nucleotides as well. So pretty cool stuff. And tetrahydrocurcumin is my next one and last one. And that one is a metabolite of regular curcumin that comes from turmeric. And tetrahydrocurcumin is the more active metabolite. It has a greater antioxidant effect, a greater anti-inflammatory effect. It's not yellow and staining like typical curcumin. It's actually a white powder, and it's more concentrated at a smaller dose. And I'm always looking to do these things. Like I think I talked to you about the dihydroberberine, like being a more active form of berberine. It's about five, anywhere from five to 10x more bioavailable, and it lasts 2x the time in the plasma. And so we're seeing this with tetrahydrocurcumin too. Like, yes, there's some curcumins out there that have enhanced bioavailability, like C3, I think by Sabinsa, and curcuin by Omniactives, I believe. There's some, you know, curcumins out there, but this is actually taking the metabolite that's downstream that's far, far more effective that curcumin turns into. And so that's where I do like a lot of my research too, is looking at these compounds and looking at their, their metabolic path and seeing what could be like the more active version, the more bioavailable version so that we could take lower doses and have greater effects. That is incredible. I have a curcumin question. They often say to take turmeric or curcumin, the normal type with black pepper, but then I've actually heard that that is not what you want to be doing. Yeah, that's because of the whole like cytochrome P450 inhibition. It depends. Like what you're doing is you're reducing the liver's natural detoxing effect, like minimizing compounds, like not allowing a compound to be too strong or too potent versus like when you inject something or it's intranasal or even anal deliveries, et cetera, where it goes directly to the bloodstream and bypasses the liver. When you have, when you consume things orally, it's kind of like a natural protective system so that not only a compound might not be too potent, but toxins and other things that might be present can't be too potent either. And your body can deal with them over time as you digest it, as you deal with it and then absorb it and et cetera. So the thing with black pepper is if you're consuming the curcumin, yes, you can enhance its bioavailability. But yes, if there's heavy metals present or some toxin present or glyphosate present that was you know, on the curcumin or whatever, you're also taking that up at a higher level. So it's the kind of thing that you'd want to be careful with, especially if you're consuming other supplements around it or eating other foods or you know, consuming other beverages or things like that. Like It's just something to be mindful of that and especially it's not just black pepper in particular, it's piperine, it's, which is called bioperin from the one company, Sabinsa. 
that it's an extract from black pepper that really is potent for that effect. So having black pepper on your food is going to enhance bioavailability to some degree, but this is, you know, 10x that, 50x that when you have this compound. I have another random supplement question. So this was like way, way back in the day before I was even remotely familiar with ketosis or ketones or anything. And I think the name might be a little bit misleading, but you mentioned it in your book as something that, I don't know the phrasing you use, but you were like, don't ask me about raspberry ketones. Oh yeah. That's just because I, I was the first one to bring that to market. There's not tons of data on it, but I just with preliminary research, I found it to be thermogenic and it occurred naturally in food. So like it wasn't difficult for me to synthesize it and and bring it to market. I didn't know about patenting or intellectual property at that point. I was just like, cool, this would be cool to bring out for this company. And we were the first to bring it out and people loved it and it was cheap. And, you know, I mean, like a very cheap ingredient overall. And so it ended up being in like 500 products, a thousand products. And like literally I'd walk into a pharmacy and see like, you know, a hundred products on the shelf, like in the store that were all raspberry ketones. And I was like, oh my God. And then like it died down for a little bit. And then Dr. Oz talked about it. And then there was again, like, 2000 products on the market with raspberry ketones. And I was just like, if I had done any work on this in terms of intellectual property, I would be a multi, multi millionaire. So it's just a lesson for me on, on how to start patenting things and, and doing intellectual property work. I had a feeling that that was going to be the exact story. <laughs> um, good times, good times in the life of Sean Wells. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, I've had a number of lessons and, and I patented tea cream and dynamine and, you know, there were some lessons learned there and those are hugely popular energy ingredients. And, and then I put patents around that dihydroberberine and exogenous ketones and some other compounds now. And, and now I have a team with this one partner in China that has 400,000 square foot facility that's GMP with over 100 scientists working with them. And then two partners, Dr. Martin Perpura and Dr. Ralph Yeager, they're like two of the most well-known sports nutrition and supplements researchers. They've done work around HMB and PKTP, Alpha GPC, all these compounds worked with the biggest companies, including like Abbott and EAS and just tons of huge, huge companies, Iovate. That's my team now. So it's uh, I've honed in the process and I have attorneys that I work with and patent experts. And now it's it's in a very different place. So if anyone has ingredient ideas, I would love to hear them. And I work with people on that stuff, too. So, Melanie, if you got some ideas, let's team up. I know. Now I'm thinking I'm like, what ideas do I have? I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. And if you come across some cool study and you're like, hey, can this be made? Then you know, let me know and I'll let you know. And if you ever want to develop a Melanie Avalon product line, let's talk about that too. Because I'm a big Melanie Avalon fan and I think you should have that and your people are demanding it. What do you think? I am so in awe of the work that you do. I feel like I would be emotionally stressed out about uh, having my name on a product. 
Like I'm very much in awe of what you do. I would be so concerned that it works perfectly for everybody that it would be a lot. But I will be thinking, I will be thinking if I come across something, now I'm excited. Well, I'm excited to hear from your community if that's what they want from you. But Yeah. So listeners, if you have any ideas or <laughs> anything, anything you'd like to run by either of us, definitely reach out. Yes. And thank you so much for having me on the show and letting me talk about my book, The Energy Formula. And yeah, and you can go to energyformula.com and it's in pre-sale right now for 99 cents, about 90% off. Once it launches, it'll be $10. It's an Amazon bestseller in seven categories already and was in the Forbes top 21 books of 2021 at number nine. Really? Yeah. And was listed on USA Today as and the 20 books you need to optimize your life. Yeah, pretty pretty exciting stuff so far. And it comes with a fasting for energy guide that includes fasting for women. I have a very large section on that and what that's like. And it comes with a hidden chapter on natural movement. And the book is like 400 pages with over 100 scientific citations, 60 full color diagrams, these formulators, corners that go through all the supplements, resource hacks that go through the various apps and devices that you need and techniques like different breathing techniques. And then there's surveys in there to judge your baseline and how you've evolved and your progress. And I mean, it's just, it's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. I mean, all that for 99 cents. Ridiculous. I can echo all of that listeners. This book is absolutely incredible hands down one of the best books I've read in recent history and it just covers everything. And it's so approachable. It has such a beautiful mindset. It's a very welcoming book. Like it's very motivational, encouraging. It goes into all aspects of health and wellness and particularly, like I said, the the mental aspect. So cannot recommend enough that listeners get it. We'll put links in the show notes to everything besides the book. How can listeners best follow your work? Yeah, I'm at Sean Wells, S-H-A-W-N-W-E-L-L-S on Instagram and then SeanWells.com. Again, I have many guides there on things like how to start with keto, how to start with fasting, immune supplements, my top supplements for exercise performance, like all these guides that I have on there. But yeah, those are probably the the two places to start. And then I do have a, a bunch of YouTube videos as well from a number of my podcasts, awesome podcasts like this one and cool speaking engagements that I've done and different documentaries and TV things that I've done. So I'm not a TV star quite like Melanie Avalon, but you know, I've gotten on there some. So, Well, Sean, this has been absolutely amazing. The last question that I ask every single guest on this show, and it's just because I realize more and more each day how important mindset is surrounding everything, which I believe we're on the same page with that. So what is something that you're grateful for? I am grateful for you and this show. And I am so grateful that we're friends and that you desired to connect with me and that you read the book and you found value in it. And you're just an incredible human being. I'm really just a massive fan of you, and it's just great to be in your presence and connected to you, and that feels spiritually in line with me. So I'm I'm blessed to be here. Just have so much gratitude for that. So thank you. 
Thank you, Sean. I am just absolutely beaming right now. And I already said I echo it all back, but I do. You are an incredible human being. I'm so happy that I found you, found your work. I love all that you're doing. I love your spirit. (laughs) I can't wait. We were talking before this recording. We need to meet in person. So that will be beautiful. Yes. Maybe we should do like a meetup and meet with like some Atlanta peeps. A little biohacking meetup going. Yes. Oh my goodness. That would be so amazing. Maybe even a meetup with M E A T, get some barbecue. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> we can have the carnivore people come. That'd be amazing. All right. Well, Sean, thank you so much. I'm sure I'll be talking to you a lot in the future. Can't wait to meet you in real life. And I will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Melanie. Bye, Sean. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got this.